Grab your Bibles. We're going we're gonna to dive into the Word this morning, but I, I want to kind of set up the story. But you can go ahead and uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. We'll pick up in these verses in, in verse 8 in just a few moments, but what I want to do is kind of backtrack and tell you a little bit of the story uh, of what has been going on. Uh, Israel, the, the children of Israel are, are not in a great place. They're not at their highest peak. They had turned away from God. They're chasing other gods as they often did. And uh, so God spoke through the prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah the Bible teaches is one of the greatest prophets in all of history, Elijah. There is an Elijah and an Elisha. This is Elijah. Elijah prays and says, there will be no more rain in the land until I give my word. And it stops raining and it's a drought. And the king and the queen are so upset with this. And they are so upset with the prophets of God and the few remaining people of God that they vow to kill all the prophets. So Elijah is basically in hiding. They're in a drought. They're angry. They're trying to kill him, thinking that will cause it to rain. So a number of things continue to happen, and and the story continues to unfold, until finally Elijah comes out, and he tells tells a, a messenger, and he says, go tell the king to meet me here. Long story short, this huge contest happens on the side of Mount Carmel. It is Elijah versus 850 prophets. 450 prophets of Baal, which was a false god, and 400 prophets of Asherah, which was another false god. And so there's 850 verses 1. I had the chance to go to Mount Carmel this, this, uh, when we were in Israel, and I want to show you a, a video. This is kind of standing on the top of Mount Carmel. It's absolutely beautiful. It's a very uh, mountainous uh, uh, tree. Do y'all have that video, guys? The location. We have to go down a little bit. You, don't, you can turn the audio off. We don't need that. You just hear me yapping. Um, so as you can see, you're kind of standing on the top of the mountain, and there's this beautiful valley. If you see in the back, over to the left, that one hill, that's actually the Mount of Transfiguration. I know it was moving very quickly. Uh, but this kind of flows all the way around to my back right here is the Mediterranean Sea. So if you can imagine, the Mediterranean Sea is to your back, just a couple of miles, and then everything you're looking at here is looking back over the land of Israel. Okay, go to the next picture for me, the, the wide shot, if you will. So this is, this is a picture looking back over Israel. Now, if you remember from when I just came home from Israel, remember me telling you the story about them bombing uh, Syria? This is where we were standing when that happened, and the planes flew right over our head. It was, yeah, it was going on. Now, I've highlighted a, a, a purple box right here. It's a little bit hard to see, but there's a kind of... Um, uh, a kind of a little a knoll or a hill kind of right there, but in the corner of those two main roads. This is where this contest took place between Elijah and the 850 prophets. I've got another picture here. You can zoom in. It might be a little blurry, but you can kind of see it. 
Okay, so this is a little bit closer, and you see that hill right in the middle? Just kind of a, just kind of a, a hill like this. It's actually called a tell. A tell is when they, they, uh, there was an le- area of land they built on it. Someone conquered it or something happened, so they leveled it and built on top, and then they leveled that and built on top, and it kind of created this tell. It's a very important place uh, that happened. There's a, you can see the... You can't really see the water, but you see the little green kind of a tree line that kind of circles around the base of that hill, right? That is the place, so here's what happens. Elijah's facing these prophets, and he tells them, you guys set up your altar and call fire down from your gods, and if, and if your gods show up and your altar catches on fire, your sacrifice catches on fire, you know that your God is real. And then, but then I'll take my turn, and if my God shows up by fire then we'll know that my God is real. So the 850 prophets, they go all day right here at this place, and they're trying to call fire down out of heaven. It never happens. Why? Because they're false, they're false prophets serving a false God that's a dead God that, that, that can't, there, there's no way he can burn up the sacrifice. He's dead. So Elijah builds his altar right here, and he has them take water from this creek. Now, this is one of the few remaining places of water that you can get in this area. Remember, they're in a drought. That's one of the reasons they're so upset. They're in a drought. And so he's taking water from here, and he's putting it all over the top of, of the altar. Well, this, the story goes, Elijah calls uh, on God, and he lights up the altar with fire, and suddenly it explodes in fire. Even though that it had been doused in water multiple times, it explodes in fire. And then Elijah kills all 850 prophets right here on this knoll. This is where it happened. It's at this point that Elijah goes up to the top of Mount Carmel, which is where I'm standing when I took this picture, and he begins to pray. He begins to pray, God, we send the rain, send the rain, send the rain. So if you remember the story, uh, some of you may remember, he sends a servant and says, go look and see if, see if you see a cloud. And he comes back and says nothing. He says, go look again. Nothing. Go look again. Nothing. Finally, he comes back and he said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. Where he was actually looking is turned opposite direction. This He was looking out over the Mediterranean Sea. And he sees a, cl- a, sign, a, a cloud the size of the man's hand. And, he, and Elijah says, rain is coming. Huge victory. One of the hugest, uh, largest victories in, in the entire Old Testament. Incredible moment. And you would think that Elijah would be on a high at this point. But Elijah's not on a high. And one of the reasons is because Jezebel, the queen, she vows to kill him. She's not liking this. She's very upset. So she vows to kill Elijah. Now we're going somewhere with this story. We're just giving some background. Now, what I want to show you is if you'll go to the map, I want to show you kind of where Mount Carmel is and what Elijah does next. Elijah gets so scared, and I know you can't read this, but I just kind of want to kind of show you. Up to the, nope, go back to where we were. Uh, Up to the top, you can see where Jerusalem and Bethlehem are. Also, you see Beersheba and Jezreel. This is modern-day Israel. Basically, the length uh, of, uh, that's the Sea of Galilee at the top, and then the Jordan River Valley that comes down uh, into the Dead Sea, which is lower. This is all that Israel is. The entire state of Israel today, a nation of Israel, that's it. Mount Carmel is at the top. So Elijah, that's where he leaves. And the first thing when he starts running, he runs to Beersheba. 
Now, if you can imagine, when I say run, I don't mean like get in his nice vehicle like you or I would and drive. That's probably um, maybe a two, two and a half hour drive right there. Okay? But if you're walking it, the man just went a long way. But let me show you. He is so scared. He doesn't stop there. He stops there and the angel feeds him and strengthens him for his journey. Because he then travels for 40 days and 40 nights running from Jezebel. And he goes all the way to the south. Do you see the other purple box at the bottom? It's a very important mountain. It's called Mount Sinai. That's where he travels to. Now, we're not 100% sure that's where Mount Sinai is. It could have been there or it could have just been on the other side of that body of water. Why is that? Because that's the Red Sea. The Red Sea actually divides and goes up two ways. And so we don't know exactly which side of the sea it was on. We think it was right there. If you remember last week, I told you about Constantine's mother who went around and bought all the holy sites. One of the reasons we think it might have been right there is because she went there and declared and decreed that this was Mount Sinai from uh, where Elijah went to. Something else important happened on Mount Sinai 600 years before that, though. And when we put these two stories together, we get a more clear understanding of why Moses went, I mean, why Elijah went there. Everything between the Dead Sea and Mount Sinai is pretty much all wilderness. Now, when you think wilderness, what do you think of? Forest, mountains, uncharted territory, right? That's not the wilderness that is right here. It is absolute desert. I mean like nothing. I'm talking about rocks and sand. Nothing else. Why does Elijah go all the way through the wilderness to get to this mountain. Mount Sinai is called the mountain of God. God asked him the same questions. You want to read about it? Okay, here we go. Verse 8. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave, and he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. But why come to this mountain? I'm going to give you a little insight, then we're going to read the rest of the story. 600 years before. The Israelites, Moses leads them out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. And a couple of months later, they come to this mountain, Mount Sinai. It is on this mountain where God begins to give the law. He speaks to his people and he gives them the Ten Commandments. It happened on this mountain. Why did Elijah come here? Because Elijah... He's tired, he's exhausted, he's running for his life, he doesn't know what to do next, he's scared of the queen, he doesn't feel like he has any friends, but Elijah knows something. What I need is a word from God. And if I could hear from God, I could get answers to all of my questions. 
He prayed. He said, this is enough. Just take me too. But then he thought, if I can get to the mountain of God, where do you want to hear from God? I'm going to return to the place where God spoke to his people and started this whole thing. God goes on to say, go out and stand before me on the, on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. Say, not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Say, not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but guess what? The Lord was not in the fire. Say, not in the fire. Turn to the next to you and say, I don't know where he is. <laughs> and after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And that's when he heard a voice say, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied and told him the same thing. I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord told him, go back to the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel Maholah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape from Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Suddenly, Elijah comes to this place, and God wasn't in the earthquake, and he wasn't in the wind, and he wasn't in the fire, but he heard the sound of a gentle whisper. And that's when God spoke to him. God gives him direction, God gives him future. God gives him understanding. God explained to him, you thought you were all alone, but there are thousands of others that are just waiting on you. You're not alone. And it all happened in a whisper. Some things can only be heard in the whisper of God. He may get our attention with fire and wind and earthquakes, but some things can only be heard when God whispers to us. Why was he there? Because he needed direction. He needed comfort. He needed strength. He needed to hear God's voice. So he returned to the place where he knew God had spoken. You know, as a husband and a father, as a pastor, as a leader, I'm faced with difficult decisions every day of my life. I read a few weeks ago that the average person, the average adult in this country makes 35,000 decisions Every single day. 35,000. Some are big, some are small. But the consequences of those decisions, even the small ones, can change the course of our lives. And there are days when I'm down and distraught, when I'm lost and confused, when I'm exhausted, when I'm feeling my, like my enemies are right on my trail. What could help me? What could make all the difference in the world? And I'll tell you it's this. Hearing the voice of God. Because when he speaks, I get direction, I get comfort, I get strength. 
even when I'm not down, even when I'm feeling great. God is the ultimate difference maker in every area of my life. He's the ultimate difference maker in every battle that I'm fighting. If God is for me, then who can be against me? But I have to be able to hear God if I'm going to be on His side. If there is no communication with God, then there is no advantage of having God because you can't hear Him. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. A couple things here. First of all, you can know God but not follow God. Look what he says. He didn't say, I know them and they know me. No, he said, I know them and they follow me. As a child of God, my question to you is, are you following the voice of God? But the even deeper question that is, because I, I think that there are people, uh, good Christians, that are, that are sincere followers of Jesus. They're doing their best. But it's not that they don't know how to follow. It's they don't know how to listen. The issue is, he said, my sheep listen to my voice. Are we listening to God? We love God, we love Jesus, we worship Jesus, we come to church every Sunday, we serve, we pray, but when we pray, do we stop and listen? This is the key. If, if communicating with God is the difference maker in every area of your life, are we listening to that voice? Because it doesn't make a difference if we're just telling Him, we have to listen to what He's saying. I feel like I'm just talking today. Is everybody out there? I read a, a, in a book this week, about a doctor. Uh, his name is Dr. Alfred, uh, and I don't know if I'm saying his name right, Tomatis, T-O-M-A-T-I-S. This was about 50 years ago. And they brought him in a, a weird case, and it was a they brought him a renowned opera singer. And this opera singer had mysteriously lost his ability to hit certain notes, even though those notes were well within his range. So maybe his, uh, the highest end of his range was, say, a, a, a high C. He couldn't hit an A, but he could hit a high C. For some reason, he could, there were just certain notes that he could not hit any longer. His voice would not project those notes. Uh, as a musician or as a singer, you work scales. Uh, maybe if, when you were a kid, if you were uh, in music class or a band, a band or something like that, you remember the do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, all that stuff, you know. And again, I'm not a singer. He couldn't, he would be going his scales and then he would just skip one. Couldn't do it. Here is a professional opera singer that can't hit certain notes. What do you do? ENT specialists all over the world thought he had some type of vocal problem. Like something's wrong with his throat and he's just, I don't know, maybe he's damaged it, maybe he's cut it and he can't hit these notes. So they bring him to Dr. Tomatis. And using a sonometer, he discovered that even an average opera singer produces uh, sound waves that are 140 decibels, 140 decibels. To put that uh, into context, in our worship service today, uh, if you were sitting on the front row, we probably hit um, 93, 94 decibels this, this morning. What do you think, Pastor Ryan? Pretty close? Too low? A little higher? Pretty close? Okay. My ear's just that good, 93, maybe 93.6, somewhere in that range. So that's about where we were this morning. So this opera singer hits 140 um, 
That is slightly louder. Consider this. That is slightly louder than a military jet taking off on an on a aircraft carrier. That's how loud these guys sing. And it's even louder in their own head. So as loud as it is for you, it's even louder to them. Here was the discovery. That the opera singer had literally been deafened by the sound of his own voice. He sang so loud that he could no longer hear certain frequencies. What did that mean? The doctor discovered that selective muteness, meaning can't speak or can't talk or can't say things, selective, couldn't hit certain notes, was actually caused by selective deafness. Put it all into context. If you can't hear a note, you can't sing that note. Here's his exact words. The voice can only reproduce what the ear can hear. I want you to think about that. The opera singer didn't have a throat problem. He didn't have a voice problem. He had a hearing problem. Because he could no longer hear those notes, he could no longer sing those notes. How does this impact us? My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. How many areas of our life do we think are different problems? We're down, we're depressed, we're beaten up, we're struggling with direction, we're struggling with our finances, we're struggling with our marriage. We think we have all these other problems, but what we really have, we have a hearing problem. We can't hear what God is saying, therefore we're not saying the right thing, we're not speaking the right thing, we're not doing the right thing. They call it the tomatus, tomatus effect. Tomatus, I don't know how you say the guy's name. What we perceive as relational, emotional, spiritual problems can actually be hearing problems. Ears that have been deafened to, to the voice of God. You see, what we're saying came from somewhere. As smart as we act like we are, as much as we think we came up with every idea, most of what we say came from somewhere else. The problems we have in our life are because of decisions, mostly because of decisions we made or didn't make, the things we've said or didn't say, and it starts with a hearing problem. But here's the good news. Jesus also said this in John chapter 16, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, and I want you to note that spirit is underlined here. When we see the word spirit in scripture underlined, who is he referring to? The Holy Spirit. Okay. So when the, Holy, when the spirit of truth or the Holy Spirit comes, spirit of truth is just one of the other names of the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all truth. Everybody say the word guide. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. And he will tell you about the future. Now, I want you to understand what the Holy Spirit is doing. He is in between God the Father, the creator, the designer of this whole thing, and you. And he's listening what God says, and then he's speaking to you. All we have to do is listen to what the Holy Spirit says and speak that and do that. That's all we have to do. He is the Spirit of truth, He is our guide. One of his primary roles, one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is literally to guide us into all truth. 
He's going to guide us into the right places and the right thing to do. He's going to guide us out of the wrong place. There are lies that you may be living in your life, deceits that you are living under, confusion that you are living in. Here's what the Holy Spirit's want to do. He says, listen to my voice. I'm going to guide you away from that into the truth. He's our guide. Now, when... Um, the title of our series, and, and I forgot to tell you this earlier, is Whisper. And I, what I want to do in this series, I want to talk to you about the whispers of God. I, I want to talk to you about the languages that God speaks. I want to teach you how to hear the voice of God. My whole goal today is just to convince you of the power of hearing God's voice and what it can do in your life. But in, throughout this series, I want to teach you how to hear the voice of God. How many think that would help you in your life? All right. So we've had this series planned for several months now. Uh, from the first of the year, Bishop and I have been work, work, working on this series called Whisper. We go to Israel, and you hire a guide when you go to Israel. If you ever go to Israel, don't waste your time without a guide. Hire a guide, get a good company, and go. And so what you do when, when you're with a guide is they, they give you these boxes, and uh, you, you wear them around your neck. And I forgot my headphones this morning. I apologize. They're in my truck. But you plug your headphones in, and you... Stick an earpiece in your ear. And the guide sits up there, and he had a nice little microphone on his box. And everywhere you go, there's thousands of people. It's packed out, and you may get a little disconnected in things. But he speaks real softly if you're inside or if you're outside. He talks into his microphone, and you hear him in your ear. So everywhere you go, you're learning things you didn't know. You're seeing things you would never have seen on your own. He's pointing things out. He's 100 yards ahead of me, points something out to the left, and I turn and look up to the left. There were many times in, over this course, I, I would go an hour and never see our guide. I was always the caboose, it seemed like, of our trip. I was always the one dragging up the rear end, saying, come on, guys, can we please catch up? And so I would go for a long time and never see our guide. He'd be way up there. He'd be around the corner. He'd be down the mountain. He'd be somewhere else. But I could hear him in my ear. And as long as I could hear the guide in my ear, I knew where to go. I knew what to do. And even when we were disconnected with thousands of people, I was never worried. I was never afraid that I was in a country where I didn't speak the language and couldn't read the Hebrew on the wall because I knew I had the guide in my ear. Now, I want to tell you something that was just like, for me, how I knew this is exactly what we needed to preach. I already knew it, but remember, we planned this series back at the first of the year. When we get there, and he hands out our, he gives us all one of these. On the front of it, the name of this box is literally the word, whisper. I almost lost it. I did like the, the Pentecostal two-step. I did the charismatic hop. I was like, come on, Jesus. And as I'm walking around all week with this box hanging around my neck, I couldn't get away from the fact that just like this guide is in my ear, that is exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do to us all the time. He just wants to speak into your ear. And when you're in a crowded place 
and you get a little insecure and you're not sure what to do, just listen to the Holy Spirit. When you're a little lost and you don't know where to go, listen to the Holy Spirit. When you don't know what's happening and you can't see into the future, don't worry. The guide is already ahead of you and he's already got it worked out. He would say things to us, come on guys, don't worry about it. I'm holding up traffic. You can cross the road right now. Traffic is flying by. He would be holding traffic, but we knew it because he was in our ear. He would be walking by and he would say things like, hey, I want you to watch the guy in the green hoodie on the side that's a pickpocket. Stay away from him. How many dangers could the Holy Spirit keep us from? If we were listening to what he was saying, he wants to speak to us. He wants to guide us. And he wants to say, hey, I would avoid that right there. I would avoid that person. They're not going to help you in your life. I would avoid that situation. It's a trap and you're going to get caught up and you're going to end up sinning and you don't want to. You're going to end up saying things and doing things you never wanted to do. So avoid it. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should marry this person or not marry that person. And and the Holy Spirit might speak to you right in your ear through a whisper. Now, here was the key, though. Even though he was speaking into my ear, and the, and the box was around my neck and everything was going perfectly, if I got too busy caught up listening to the other people, I couldn't hear him. You see, at the same time, I'm listening out of my left ear to what's happening here, and I'm trying to listen, listen out of my right ear to what's going on to him. And on multiple occasions, I offended a few people. I'll just be honest. I offended some people. Because they're trying to talk to me and tell me something not important, at least to me not important. They thought it was important or funny or they were tripping out over whatever it might be. But this guy, the guy was telling me something that was of vital importance that I didn't want to miss. And I would be just straight ignoring them. And at one point I said, I'm not listening to you. (laughs) Why? Because what I determined was what's happening in my ear is more important than what's being said around me. God, if I could hear you, you could lead me when I'm disconnected. You could calm my anxiety. You could give me the answers even before I ask. You could bring clarity when I'm confused. You could give me direction when I'm lost. You could help me time and time again. If the voice can only reproduce what it can hear, and you can't hear the Holy Spirit because you're listening to the wrong people, you won't be able to reproduce what he's saying. Luke chapter 12, here's what Jesus said. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. Why? For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. When you're going through difficult situations in your life, when you're going through troubles in your life, when you've got a meeting before your boss this week and you're not sure what you're going to say, don't stress about it listen. Worry less, listen more. The Holy Spirit will speak to you on what to say. You don't know what to say to your husband. He's lost his mind. Again. (laughs) Worry about what to say. Worry about listening. And in that very moment, I love the New King James. It says, in that very hour, when you need it, he'll speak to you. We worry about listening And then we'll know exactly what to say. In your ear is the most powerful difference maker, the Holy Spirit. He he wants to lead you and guide you daily, tell you things you didn't know, help you avoid issues, solve problems, and be everything God made you to be. Do you realize that of the 35,000 decisions you are going to make today, 
Your batting average on those decisions would go up significantly higher if we would just listen to the whisper of the Holy Spirit. He's always talking. Will we just listen? Why does God whisper? Why did he whisper to Elijah? Why does he whisper to us? Well, if you go back to Mount Sinai with Moses, God tried speaking audibly to the people. So he goes, he says, Moses gathered the people at the base of the mountain. So they all gather like this. And Moses is standing there. And it is thundering, it is lightning, it is darkness, it, it, the wind is blowing, and God is booming out of the mountain. It is just, I mean, every person there heard it, and they were scared to death. And they came back to Moses, like, Moses, we're, this isn't going to work. You're going to have to go up to the mountain, you're going to have to talk to God, you're going to have to come tell him what, we, what, he, what he said, because we are scared out of our mind. The Bible even teaches that Moses was trembling. So now... Moses goes up to the mountain, gets the word, and brings it back down to the people. They needed an intermediary. Listen, that's, that's what the Holy Spirit is for us. If God spoke to you, what if, what if you were like walking through the supermarket one day, and you're just like walking along, and suddenly it went dark, and, it's, and, and, the, and the rack started shaking, and God started booming like out of the, the Pop-Tarts box? <laughs> How many of you would hit the ground... Pray, Jesus, take me home right now. How, how many would say a few cuss words? Yeah. We don't really, like, it's fun to think about, I want God to speak to me audibly all the time. But, but look, I'm not sure that we do. If, secondly, one of the reasons we whisper is because when we whisper, it's private. We don't want everybody to hear. Look, there are some things that when God tells me, I don't really want you to hear it. There are some times when God rebukes me that I would rather him not do it in front of everybody. Just tell me in my ear, Lord. I, I can handle it from there. <coughs> so he, he speaks to us in a whisper. He tried it the other way. Now he speaks to us in a whisper. When he spoke to Elijah, he said, let me just whisper to you, Elijah. I'm just going to whisper when you hear me. The other thing about, it's not just about secrecy. It's not just about privacy. It's also about intimacy. It's about closeness. When somebody's whispering to you, you have to get closer to them to hear. You lean in to hear the whisper. Now, doesn't that just sound like our God? The same God we celebrated the last few weeks that has sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that we might be in relationship with him again and there would be nothing that could separate us from the love of God and he could repair the gap of sin that was in the, in the world so he could draw close to us. That's what God wants. So he said, listen, if I whisper, it will force you to come closer because we have a tendency to wander off. So God says, I'm going to keep whispering. And when you can't hear God's voice anymore, we ought to stop and get silent and say, Lord, I may have wandered off. I'm listening for the whisper. When we can't hear God's voice, when we're struggling to hear the whisper, we ought to stop and spend some time in prayer. The thing about prayer is prayer is communicating with God. But do you know what is more powerful than talking with God? Listening to God. We should talk with God. You should tell the Lord all about your troubles. He cares. But we should stop and listen. In your prayer time every day, you ought to make time to stop and listen. In the Old Testament, 
the Israelites' connection and their communication with God was their difference maker. Uh, God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant, which was a, a box. And through that, they communicated in God with God. And so when they went into battle, it was tough to defeat the Israelites because they had a direct communication with the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing God. They were connected with Him. And so every time they went into battle, they would take the Ark of the Covenant. And, the, and the, their enemies often knew, like, we're fighting a losing battle here because they have a direct connection with God. They were in communication with their God. So when enemies would come into Jerusalem, and when they would defeat Jerusalem, one of the first things that they would try to do is tear down the temple. They stole the Ark of the Covenant, and they tore down the temple. Why? Because what they realized was the temple was the communication center for the nation of Israel. It was the communication center with God. So if we can tear down the temple, we can destroy communication between the Israelites and God. If God knew everything and was directing them in battle and was giving them power and ideas and insight into what the enemy was doing, if we can break down communication, then we can isolate the Israelites and we can overcome them and defeat them. Makes sense, right? So often, they would tear down the temple and tear down, steal the Ark of the Covenant because what are they trying to do? They're trying to break communication between God and his people. That's what they're trying to do. We're standing on the top of the Mount of Olives, and in my ear, in, in my whisper box, the guide starts talking about this. We're looking at the cross at the Temple Mount. Of course, the temple is destroyed. And he says the temple was destroyed time and again because it was a communication center for the people of Israel. It's how they communicated with God. I really began to hear the Holy Spirit. I, I quit listening to the guide. I know he was in my ear, but now I'm starting to listen to the real guide. I said, Holy Spirit, so what is, what is happening now? And the Holy Spirit said to me, Randon, the enemy is still trying to destroy your communication with God. That's still his goal. Because if the Holy Spirit in your life is the real difference maker in every situation. If you have the all-knowing, all-powerful, uh, all-loving, all-kind, everything, all of creation, all of the power of the world in, in God, and He is living on the inside of you, then there is no enemy in hell that can stop you. But if He could cut off communication, if He could get us to not listen to the voice of God, not follow the voice of God, and the enemy has a chance to defeat you. So the Holy Spirit said, Rena, the enemy is still trying to cut off communication. My response was, Lord, how is he doing that? And he took me to this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. What was that price? His son, Jesus. 
So you must honor, your, honor God with your body. I want you to put this in perspective. I'm looking at the Temple Mount, realizing that the Temple was the communication center for the Israelites. Suddenly God reminds me of this scripture. And he said, Randon, don't you understand that your body is now the communication center of the Holy Spirit? He's living in you. He's trying to communicate through your body. So what is the enemy going to try to destroy? He's going to try to destroy my body. He's going to try to destroy your body. I'm only going to tell you two specific ways, and we're closing this morning. There's a number of others. But first of all, we're going to put this in proper context, this actual verse. The, the little passage at the top of the, in my Bible literally says, flee sexual sin. The first way that the enemy wants to attack your body. Why do we think sexual sin is everywhere? Why do we think sexual immorality is everywhere? Why do you think it's hard to even watch TV without facing it and dealing with it and trying to decide, can I watch this or can I not watch this? Here's what he said in verse 18, just prior to verse 19 that I read to you. Run from sexual sins. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. When we have sexual sins in our life, adultery, fornication, sex outside of marriage, uh, pornography, lust, these things, we are sinning against our own body. And what are we doing? We are playing into the enemy's hand and we are destroying the temple and destroying the communication center with God. You ever wonder why? When you were caught up in sexual sin and then you tried to hear God and you couldn't hear him? This is why. Here's the second. How else does he attack our body? With sickness and disease. So he puts on a sickness and he puts on a disease. What's he trying to do? He's trying to break down our body. What happens when we're going through sickness and disease? A couple of things. First of all, many people turn away from God. They get angry at God and they just don't talk to him. Others turn to God. And this is a risk the enemy is willing to take because the odds are in his favor. And others of us turn to God, but the only thing we pray for is our healing. We stop having a real relationship with God. We only pray for our healing. And then if God doesn't heal us in the time frame that we ask him to, we have a doubt that takes over our heart. We're not sure, so we stop praying altogether. We stop having a real relationship with God. We stop communicating with God. Because if he can't heal me, then he must not be speaking to me in other areas either. And doubt creeps in. And we lose, we have a disconnect in our relationship with God. And he has severed communication. I want to talk more specifically about the languages of God and, and how he speaks to us in a whisper. But really, I, I, I really felt strongly to get to this place today. And I want to leave you with four things. Number one, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit today. You need to ask the Holy Spirit. He's a free gift of God. And he wants to enter you. All we have to do is ask and receive. And then the Holy Spirit will baptize you today. Number two, if you have sexual sin in your life, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm not asking you to come to the altar. But is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? And if it's you, I'm going to pray over you that God's going to deliver you today. But you still have, the strength, have to have the strength to say no to the temptations in your life. Number three, if you're here today and you need healing in your body, 
at the end of the service, while we're baptizing, uh, on this side, Pastor Kerry, if you would, we're going to have some pastors and elders here, and we want to pray. I believe that God can and will, will heal you, but even if he doesn't, may your faith be strengthened. Can I pray with you today? Father, I thank you that you love us so much that not only did you send your son Jesus to die for us and save us, but you sent us the Holy Spirit as our guide to speak to us, to be a difference maker in our life, to help us in every situation that we face. Lord, you know us and you love us and it's your desire to whisper to us. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to learn from you throughout the course of this series that we might be closer to you. But God, today I'm praying for those that are not filled with your Holy Spirit, may they be filled with your Holy Spirit. For those of us in this room that are struggling with temptation and sexual sin in any area of our life, Lord, I am praying that first of all, we would be delivered from that today, from that sin today. We would be forgiven from that sin today. And then that, God, you would give us the strength to say no to the enemy in every area of our life. Restore communication with your people today, oh God. Lord, I'm praying for those of us that need healing in our body. Lord, would you heal today because you promised that you would bring your healing power to our bodies in Jesus' name. Strengthen our faith today, Lord God. May we know that you want to speak to us and you can speak to us and you are speak to, speaking to us. Open our ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.